Good evening, good evening, and thank you for joining us. It's a beautiful Tuesday evening, and if it's a Tuesday, you know what that means. It's time for Change Matters Solutions. We do this each and every Tuesday here on the Intentional Talk Radio Network. It's 7 o'clock here in Big D, Dallas, Tejas. It is 8 o'clock on the East Coast, and it's 5 o'clock on the West Coast. And if you're in a mountain time zone, hey, you do the math. We've got another great show lined up for you, so stick and stay and don't go away. And remember, tell a neighbor, tell a friend to join the Change Matters Movement. I'm your host, Kenny Hendricks. I am your host, Nicola Jones. We've just completed a great show with host, Dominique Joseph from Central Neighborhood Health Foundation, who is the sponsor of Your Life, Your Health. We had a great show, and we're going to continue great shows right here with none other than the wonderful, the sensational, the awesome Kevin Fleming who is Mr. Radio Man. And you know, folks, we are celebrating Black Music Month, and he is the man to bring it. He's going to tell us all about Black music from whence we came, where we're going, and what we need to do with that stuff called rap. So we are going to bring it. And without further ado, I want Kevin Fleming to come right on in here and get this party started. How are you, Kevin Fleming? And you have got a bio that'll take me till next week this time to read it. Tell us about yourself, kiddo. Can't hear you. Your audio. Is your mic muted, Kevin? Let's see, because you're not on mute on Zoom, so maybe your mic is muted. How about now? There, we got you. We got you, yep. Okay, sorry about that. No problem. Hello, Ms. Williams, and thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Um, I don't know. I'm going to come up with a song. You want me to start a story? Yeah, I want, I I'm going to come up with this new tune called You're On Mute. You're On yeah, Mute. That, that makes sense. Yes, yes, um, yes. Let's see. I'm going to try to keep this brief. Um, I, I grew up in a city, in a community, in a neighborhood that all the people around me were into music. I'm originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I lived on the north side of Minneapolis and I, you know, Minnesota was um, a wonderful place to live um, in the summer, but in the winter you had to hibernate. So many of my friends, you know, either you were into sports or you were into music. And there were a lot of bands in the neighborhood. And so the kid across the street that didn't grow up there, but came to live there um, across the street from my house on the north side of Minneapolis, his name was, um, you probably heard of him, um, Prince Rogers Nelson. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. And we didn't call him Prince. We called him Skipper. He was just like one of the other kids in the neighborhood, all the kids in the neighborhood, you know, play ball and row bikes and, you know, went to the creek to go fishing and whatever it is we did, he did amongst all of us. Um, so my uh, introduction to him was in middle school, in third grade, when I first met Prince and had remained friends with him um, throughout his life and certainly miss him dearly. Um, in high school, I, um, played high school football with, uh, Terry Lewis of, uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. I 
after high school was a DJ in the clubs with Jimmy Jam. Um, hung out with Morris Day. So I was around music a lot. And I didn't really follow music myself in terms of uh, wanting to be a musician or singer or anything like that. I, I was interested in being on the radio. I was fascinated with radio. So um, when I was in high school, my mother used to drive me to a local radio station where a local DJ uh, was doing soul music and he let me do the community news every day after school and she would drive me to the studio sit in the car i'd go in i'd do you know my community news it only lasted three minutes and um, she would critique critique me on the way home you know and that's really kind of my introduction to to radio so after uh, high school um, i went to college in atlanta and majored at uh, clark atlanta university in uh, broadcasting and mass communications. I do have a degree in mass communications and a um, concentration in broadcast management. Um, after college, um, I started my career in radio. Started at a little AM station in Athens, Georgia, WXAG. Uh, it was a daytime station. We, we made a little bit of noise. People didn't have much then at the time. And um, I got a little, built a little name for myself. And after about six months at the station, somebody called me from a bigger station in South Carolina and asked me what I come and be the program director. So I was there a couple of years, I don't know, to number one in the state. And uh, for whatever reason, the owner, when we got to number one in the state, figured something must be wrong for us to be doing this good. So he walked in one day and he fired me and I was in shock. You know, we were doing well. We're number one in the state and I get fired. So I got in my car and I drove to Atlanta and I interviewed at stations there and I got in my car and I drove to New Orleans and I interviewed at stations there and I drove to Houston and I interviewed at stations there and everybody was like, yeah, we like you. We don't, we want to do something with you, but we don't have anything open right now. I decided to go back to South Carolina and try to figure something out. And on the way back, I talked to a friend. He said, hey, man, they're looking for you. Somebody's trying to reach you. They're trying to get you in L.A. I said, L.A.? This is in the 80s. I, didn't, I don't even remember sending tapes out to L.A. Anyway, I called, talked to the general manager at uh, K, uh, KGFJ. He said, son, it sounds like you're the type of person we need to have here. You got a college degree. You know what you're doing. You've had success. Why don't you come out to LA? And I, uh, I came to LA in, in November of 1984 as a program director of KGFJ. And I've been in LA ever since. And I've spent considerable time in radio stations. Yet besides KGFJ, I programmed um, KACE. I also programmed um, The Beat and K K K K uh, K K B R, and also then most recently uh, KPFK, but also during that time I also worked in radio. I mean records, and uh, first worked for Island Records as um, a regional promotion manager for a very short time, and was fast tracked to vice president of Black Music at that company. I also worked for um, 
company called Third Stone Records, which was owned and operated by Dick Rudolph, uh, the man who was married to Minnie Ripperton. And I worked with Dick and we worked on um, an album for um, Marvin Gaye's daughter, Nona Gaye. And, and in fact, she only has one album and that was the album we made. Um, and then I also um, worked for my homeboys, Jimmy and Terry, as their vice president and general manager of Perspective Records, where we launched um, Sounds of Blackness and Mint Condition and had a, a great deal of success in a short amount of time. So I've got a varied background in history. And for the last 20 years on the side, I had uh, my own business, a blog called The Urban Buzz. So I'm sorry that it took so long for me to explain all that, but in the course of 30 years, I pretty much met everybody, did a whole lot of things, worked with a whole lot of people, and I'm here to tell my story with you today. Great. Well, we understand you're Mr. Music Man, so that's what we're here to talk about today. And as I said, you've got a very, very extensive background, and that's wonderful, wonderful. So what... When you came to L.A., you went to KGFJ, and KGFJ has been gone for how many years now? Ooh, KGFJ went out in the 90s, about well, 97, been, Are you sure it was the 90s? Because they, I, we were right around the corner from KGFJ. When they were and on La Brea? When they were on La Brea, yes, and we were on San Vicente and La Brea. And yeah, it was like maybe 95, 96 then. I was gone in, in the record business, so now I don't remember. I came back. Well, I think no. It was before then. I think it was before then because we moved oh. from San Vicente in 92. And mm -hmm. Teresa left, and Teresa went to, she was somewhere else. But KJ, I know the building that they were in, and, and it had to be in the 80s that KGFJ left there. It no, no, no. It was in the 90s because actually my wife worked there in as a, a salesperson in uh, 92 when my son was born. So I know that because when okay. the riots hit, I had to go down there and get her. I remember that, you know. Okay, to, then uh, maybe they were there until 92, but it was, we left. Well, yeah, it was probably a couple of years after that, maybe one or two, but not much more after that. Oh, but it was a great, KGFJ was a great place because um, it was a learning um, uh, facility and the general manager was very much committed to the education and the development of black people in all areas. And he gave me an opportunity to bring in people and to develop them. And we were very successful at that. We had people that left uh, KGFJ and went on to big stations like in New York and in Washington, D.C. And they got their start with us. And, and I'm very proud of that because that means a lot to me to be able to share something and to help develop other talent and other people. So what happened to Black music? There is no more KGFJ. There is no more Beat. There is no more KACE. There is no more. The black radio stations are gone. KJ, well, KJLH is hanging on by a thread. The wave is the wave, and they're all over. That's not a black station. And there is. I, go ahead. I was going to say, what happened 
was the 1996 Telecommunications Act, which was put into place by Bill Clinton. And what it meant was that stations could buy multiple or people could buy multiple stations in one market, up to seven stations, whereas before you could have one AM and one FM and one television station before that, that act came into play. So when it came in, that meant hedge fund runners and you know people with long money could buy multiple stations in a market. And that brought about um, uh, Evergreen, which later became Clear Channel, and they bought seven stations in Los Angeles, and, and CBS bought six stations in Los Angeles. And so um, the station I was with, um, KACE, got bought out by a, a group, but we were already a group with Cox Radio. And Cox Radio sold um, uh, their stations, uh, KFI and Coast, to uh, Clear Channel, which later became iHeart, and we were sold to a Spanish group. But um, again, the, the KACE was such a um, a big player in LA for R&B music for, and for the community. And I was there seven years as a program director, and uh, that station um, sold for seven hundred percent of what it was bought for. Okay, so so uh, Willie Davis owned the station and sold yeah, it to, to Cox, but it was a great success story, um, you know, to to be able to grow that much and to be sold. Of course, that meant we lost that facility and lost that outlet, but it was a station that people still today talk about. Right. And were you there when Jim Maddox was there? I came, well, Jim Maddox, I first be became aware of Jim Maddox when he was at KDA. And I was at KGFJ. So we were kind of competing against one another. So I, I was aware of Jim. Jim also spent time at KJLH yep, um, yeah. and, and then at KCE. But Jim had left by the time I got to KCE. Oh, I see. And KGFJ okay. was the first black radio station in, in the Los oh, Angeles area. Because yeah. I remember growing up there as a kid, we used to listen to KRLA. And that was right. the rock station, you know, so we listened to the Beatles and every once in a while there would the Marvelettes or Martha and the Vandellas or somebody would play. And when they came out with KGFJ, I mean, that that was groundbreaking that back then. Yeah. I mean, it, it, was, it was really, really something. It, it, it basically changed the way we were able to listen to music during that time because mm -hmm. we could listen to our music. Not and, and, and I love all sorts. I listen to rock and everything else. But it, to listen to our music, it was it was eye opening to hear what we were really doing. And it really felt like we, we owned something. Yeah. Yeah. Burn baby burn. Yeah. During that time. Burn baby burn. Yeah. 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 And they took heat. They took heat for that. They took heat for that burn baby burn thing. But I do want to ask you, it's interesting because again, I grew up in LA. I live in Dallas now, but I grew up in LA and I, I don't think a lot of people out on like the West coast realize what a, a large black community is in Minnesota. You know, there isn't one. Is it? Is it not a lot? No, but but there's a lot of lot, lot of talent has come out of there, and I know a lot of people well, that have come over from uh, uh, Ethiopia that are living there and things. So well, they're, 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 yeah, they they've imported a lot of people. Yeah. since that time, uh, there's a big Samoan community. There was a, a Hmong community before that. Uh, so there are a lot of imports in, in Minnesota at, at this time. But again, when you're having to hibernate six months out of the year. You know, you got to find something to do. The snow and the cold is just devastating there. So um, that's why so many people, um, you know, went to music and turned to music. And uh, 
you know, coming up, um, it was a very competitive marketplace. I mean, we talked about Prince and, and everybody knows about his greatness, but when we first started, when we were young and, you know, in our teens and whatnot, and we had bands and multiple bands in, in one community, we had a, um, an annual summertime battle of the bands. And I, amongst a few other people, were one of the MCs of the show. So, you know, I'm, my radio career is, is, is uh, you know, what I'm looking forward to, but to get on that stage and talk about those bands and to see who was the dominant band, you know, uh, uh, Terry Lewis had a band called Flight Time. And there were other bands in the community and, and they would dominate. And excuse the expression, but they would kick Prince's ass every time. I've seen Prince cry many times after the Battle of the Bands because <laughs> they just got smoked. But wow. you know, Prince had a different kind of style. He was a little more rock, a little more mm -hmm. eccentric, a little more out there. And you know, we're in the hood. Yeah. And you right. gotta come with the come with the funk when right. you're in the hood. So uh, the funk bands always dominated. And then after, you know, a while and, and Prince kind of looked back on that and said, Let me go woodshed. And that's when he was about 17, 18, and he took a year or two off. And that's when he came up with, uh, you know, the, the Soft and Wet album. And that obviously launched his career. Now, don't don't get me wrong. Prince had some challenges um, when he first came on the scene nationally uh, because people didn't understand what he was. I, I, I remember his, uh, what was the album where he's sitting on the horse and he's naked on the horse? Uh, I think it's uh -huh. Prince. I remember back in the... I guess it was uh, late seventies, early eighties when I first. I'm like, who is this guy? He's got this long, flowing hair. He's sitting naked on this horse, and his name is Prince. <laughs> you know, but, but like you said, as, you know, growing up in the hood, it's like that was very different. It was a very different thing. But then I started listening to him. I thought, okay, this cat has really got something going on here. Well, when we were kids, and again, because he was across the street from me, you know, uh, me lived with. Uh, his first bass player's family, that was Andre Anderson, who later became Andre Simone. And Andre Simone's mother and my grandmother were best friends. So it was nothing for us all to be across the street with them. So we're in the basement listening to records. And we would listen to James Brown, Al Green, Sly and the Family Stone, Stylistics, um, Santana, Grand Funk Railroad, <laughs> You know, um, 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 you know, stuff like that. There's some be some rock in there, but it definitely would be funk. And when they started playing, you know, we're we're, we're talking about cardboard boxes before they had uh, instruments. Um, we could see that there was something there. So um, it, his influence came from from those kind of records, you know. So I see, when you said flight time, Vita Sparks mm -hmm. is, uh, Vita is uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis's. Um, they were, she she runs the label. Yeah, I, I know Vita. Mm -hmm. They're bringing back flight time because that's Vita's now uh, email address at flight time. Well, flight time is the production company. Perspective yeah. Records is the label. Um, they're now um, affiliated with BMG as a distri distribution uh, company. But, you know, um, I'm so proud and honored to have had the opportunity to work with Jimmy and Terry because they were so prolific 
so gifted. Um, and they learned uh, and were groomed by Prince. Um, Prince was difficult, you know, as a band leader, as a mentor, as a um, an overseer of the music. You know, the first uh, two time albums were all done by Prince and Prince told them they weren't gonna produce any of the songs. And, uh, and of course, everybody knows the famous story about uh, Jimmy and Terry getting fired by Prince because they went off and produced uh, other people's music when they were told, don't do that. And they missed a gig. And uh, when they got back, they were immediately fired. And that was probably the best thing that ever happened to them because you see what, you know, what their career has turned out to be. Absolutely, absolutely. Where do you think Black music is going? Where's, I think Black music is struggling. And, and I, don't, I don't think it's struggling at all. I well, think that it's, not, it's it's I don't think it's it's a visible struggle, but black music from where we came from and from whence we came the way we know black music, our competition is us. This I think I mentioned to you this rap stuff that Gunna and Young Thug. I I just don't understand that. It is so yeah. trying but, but to get we can't, to understand. We, we can't put all rap on Gunner and Thug. What we have to do no, is no, look I'm at. I'm not. Yeah. We have to That's we have to look at this in a in a different way. First of all, and I'm sure your listeners and uh, know this is rap is the rap and hip hop are the biggest genre of music in the world. It's the biggest selling. It's it brings in the most money and there's a great, great opportunity and all of that. Now, what we came up on and the way in which we were introduced to all this music and the way in which artists created music, you know, when we were uh, in our teens and, and 20s and 30s and whatnot, that way has changed. The internet has opened up a whole new uh, world to the way in which music is made, way it's distributed, way it sounds. And you got to understand that when corporations um, invest in artists and invest in music, the return on that investment is based on you got to have a hit. So when you're bombarded with the same kind of stuff all the time from a commercial standpoint, yeah, you would sit there and say, what's going on with our music? Our music is, is in the gutter. It's terrible. Um, you know, it's the same, you know, uh, misogynistic, you know, against women, you know, against education, you know, just dumb, ignorant kind of stuff because you're getting this. It's like going to McDonald's every day to eat. Yeah, you yeah you're right. Dumb, yeah. ignorant stuff. And it's, and it's right. what it is doing to the community is what ha would happen to your body if you went to McDonald's every day and ate, unfortunately, because, you know, and I, you know, I hear the same thing. It's the biggest selling genre out there. And people say, you know, eight, white kids buy 80% of, you know, rap and hip hop music out there, you know, and that may be true. But but the problem that that I see is that it's particularly with the negative rap and the gangster rap and all that. The little white kids out there that buy this stuff, they're not trying to live that lifestyle. And the problem is many of our kids are trying to live that lifestyle. And, and, and that's been hurting our community. The misogyny, the uh, just the, the negativity. Everybody's got a beef with everybody. Every week you hear about another rapper getting killed, you know, and, and all that negativity. It, it's really decimated our communities. But if, if you consume garbage 
all day. Yeah, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. To, yeah, you're going to emit garbage. Yeah, you know. So, but but what, let me go back to what uh, Miss Williams said about black music. There's a plethora of music out here. There's more music than you can consume. You just got to know where to find it. Now, you know, um, I don't think it's promoted in a such a way where you're going to say, oh, I, you know, I listened to that new um, Robert Gasper album yesterday. Well, you might not even know who Robert Gasper is. I mean, you saw this year uh, John Baptiste uh, at the Grammys won for a record of the year with that Freedom song. Probably never heard of that Freedom song before you heard about it at the Grammys. So there's there's a lot of music out here, and you um, you just got to kind of know where to find it and how to um, to interact with the people that are making it. And there's a lot of different forms of it. You know, yeah. there's uh, jazz influenced um, uh, hip hop. There's R&B is 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 um, uh, thriving right now with a lot of uh, great music. Um, you know, her is a huge star. You can look at uh, Afro beats is blowing up around the world it's huge and it's all based on you know r&b there's so much music um it's like i said there's almost too much music it's just really about how you find it and how you consume it and, and i think that, huh go ahead go ahead and i think that um when you're when you're in balance with some of the negative rap you don't see it as bad as it is because you don't have to go there you know, now this whole thing with Gunna and, and uh, Young Thug um, about how the the authorities are taking the lyrics from their music as if they're, um, you know, uh, c confessing, you know, their sins. Yeah. I, I think that's a slippery slope. I think that's a very difficult thing to to prove. I think that's a a, a shortcut on their part to you know to. To in uh, uh, to get involved with those uh, uh, gangster rap. rap, yeah, but I think it's very difficult to approve. Now, if you're if you have done bad things, and you're putting all this information on music and putting it out there like it's a confession, well, that can be problematic. And there have been guys that have done that. There have been some of these rappers who've gone out and that I shot this dude or whatever, and done, and they've yeah, been arrested yeah. for for the lyrics they had and. And I understand what you're saying. It is definitely a slippery slope. But again, and somebody once compared it, said, you know, you don't think, you know, Robert De Niro's out doing anything or, or Marlon Brando because he played The Godfather or anything like that. Yeah. But again, that that is obviously them acting. A lot of these young guys, this they, they are saying this is us. This is my lifestyle. And I'm a gangster. I'm a killer. And I'm a, they, they are actually saying that. And they want people to believe and again, there have been cases where people have gone, some of these guys have gone out and committed crimes and then sure. rapped about it. And then they, they end sure. up getting arrested for it. So sure. it, 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 it's, it's, it's hard because, you know, yeah, you're right. There is, as a matter of fact, I heard a rap song the other day that was beautiful. I can't remember who was it. As a matter of fact, I think I sent it to you, Colette and Kiana. I said, now this is rap worth listening to. But, you know, unfortunately, oh, the, yeah. the, stuff, yeah. the stuff that is pushed, the stuff that is out front, front and center, that is the stuff that most people hear, and that is what most people, that is the image and the perception that most people have of who we are as a people. And, yeah, it's just an art form, but, again, they try to live this lifestyle, and, and that's, that's, what, that's the, the part that some of us find objectionable. 
You know, if they were just well, rapping about it and there was there was nothing behind it, that'd be one thing. But it becomes if you, a line. If, if you take it at face value, it might look like that. It might feel like that. But you gotta, you know, you gotta take a, a little deeper look. You know, what was it? MTV Cribs, when they would go out and show you somebody's house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They didn't own those houses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those exactly. houses were rented. Yep. You know, right, right. Rick Rick Ross might have a hundred cars, but most of these rappers don't, they know they don't, don't roll like that. The you boats know, they get out there on those about, yachts, they don't own the that. The thing about an artist being signed to a label is that the label collects all of their investment before the artist gets paid. Money, yeah. So it's it's a very you know it's a it's a difficult thing to make a whole lot of money on records today. What you can do with records is you can use them as promotional material. So that you can go out and perform, and and uh, and people have to buy fifty, sixty, hundred dollar tickets to see you. And so, Kevin, this is the list, and I bring this up on the show all the time. This is a list of murdered hip hop musicians, and so this goes yeah. all the way back to nineteen eighty seven. And see, this right. list goes on and on and on up until June eleventh. This just what last week? Yeah, okay. yeah. The week before. The week before what that. Is that? That's somebody's name. I don't, I don't even know who he is. Yeah. So Snooty Wild, Drake Older. I remember Young Dolph got killed. Ella. And so this happens. You don't see this in country music. You don't see this in rock. You don't see this in, in, in any other genre of music. But you see it here. And this, you know, in, in my estimation, and you may disagree, but, but I think this harms our community and it harms well, the world's perception of who it, we are. It, it, it does. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, let, let's let's dissect this. You know, if you're in the hood, and this might be, in your perception, your only way out. And to be somebody, to be you know hood rich or hood somebody, that you got to have a beef, or to come up, you got to you know step on somebody else. I'm not condoning any of that. But that's a reality for people in some places. Yeah, and, and that's what we have to work on, letting these young folks know that that is not the only way out. There are other ways out. It really now, isn't. And it really you isn't. Know, and again, the vast, majo- the vast majority, absolute. the vast majority, like you said, they're not going to make it there. You know, Jay-Z and Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg, those, those are, you know, the top one half of 1% yeah. of all of these guys. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Dr. Dre doesn't live in Compton. Yeah, yeah, no, oh, neither exactly. does Snoop Dogg. Yeah, he you know, doesn't live in Compton. He hasn't lived in Compton in, in forty years. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So and so, but but these young kids coming up. But again, you don't see this in other genres of music in other communities. And so you got all these kids running around with their pants hanging down by their knees. You know, I'm gangster this, I'm gangster that. And but and when again, the powers that be kind of pit you against yes. somebody to. Yeah. Oh no, I you, you know, know I, I, I your come up your come up is somebody else's disadvantage. Yeah. So you no. Gotta, no. I know where it comes from. I I understand where it comes from. Don't get me wrong. Right. I, I completely understand. And, and don't yeah. think those record companies don't say you know you die next. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. And they also yeah. they also say if you don't have the negative rap, you don't get signed. You know, if right. you want to rap about something positive or go to a conscious rap, you don't get signed. So I want to hear that. So education and communication and excuse, you know, it sounds cliche, but, you know, showing somebody some love might, you know, no, teach yeah. somebody you don't have to go this route. No, I, I, yeah, I completely agree with that. And, and, and that, that comes from us. 
Yeah. That's nobody else's problem. And nobody yeah. else is going to fix it. We have to fix that. And we have to fix that in our community. Tup- you know? Tupac was great. Biggie was great. They're dead. Yep. You know, over what? And they're going to be dead. They're not coming back. Right. They ain't coming they're, back. They're, they're going to be dead from now on. Right. From back then on. Exactly. You know, and all these guys, Young Greatness, Smoke Dog, Jimmy Wopo, Bankroll Fresh, Chinks Drugs, Flabba, The Jacka, Pablo's Feist, MC. Just go but on. Where are real names? <laughs> Do they have real names? You know, and 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 it it it, it is it is it is, let's it is not, a. Let's not show our age. <laughs> it it is it is it is a career with a very uh, 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 low mortality rate. You know, making it past a certain age. And if you look at the age, let me just look at this. 25, 25, 22, 20, 27, 21, 32, 26. So here's one guy, Mac Dre made it to 34. Proof made it to 32. Proof's a kid, uh, Pop Smoke. Yeah, Pop Smoke. He went on TV, showed all this money. Yep, Yep, sure did. And the next night he got killed. Yep, and he was only 20. So, so. 21. The the oldest one on here is 37 years old. That was somebody named the Jacka in Oakland. In 2015. Yeah, but most of those most of those people, you know, they, they never really uh, reached any uh, significant potential. No, they didn't. Um, no. But the thing is, like I said, when you come from a background that you believe in your mind mm-hmm. that this is the only way out, and this gangster approach to it is the only process that you can, you know, can follow, then you're going to make mistakes. So we got to get to people earlier. And show them that there are other ways of, of being successful in this business. Okay, here here's just what he says. And that's what that's what the opportunities of today to bring you. You you know we don't we're not using instruments like we did when we were coming up. You know everything's on a computer. Yep. You know you you don't you're not composing songs. You're making loops. They, they and they call it making. They don't even call it writing. They call it making beats. Right. You go down right. to Guitar Center. You, you pick up you, a beat making machine. Right, you can go online and buy beats and come yeah. up with you know, yeah. come up with songs. So it's not like you're creating compositions. It's not like we're going to Juilliard, you know, on the regular with people and learning how to play and and theory and and put songs together. Um, uh, there are people that do that, and I think we should embrace that. And the more that we move toward positive, maybe then people will see that there's not a pathway as uh, to get where they want to get to on the negative. So um, I don't know if there's work for everybody in all of this. Yeah, I don't know if you're on uh, TikTok, but uh, Marcellus, um, not Winton or Branford, uh, their younger brother, I can't think of his name. He's got a page on there, and every once in a while it comes up on my feed. It's about three minutes, and he tells stories about, you know, his brother Winton, his brother Branford, and things. Just very anecdotal things about, and it's really because they're all great musicians. I mean master musicians and and he had this uh i just watched one thing was yesterday the day before and he was talking about winton and how people didn't like winton and things like that they were he was kind of snobbish and i responded and said yeah winton marcellus is a musical snob and if you ever listen to him he is a musical snob but guess what my dad played sax and he was a musical snob you know and i and yeah cool that's laughing he was you talked about music he was a musical snob and i said that's okay because winton has the chops to be a musical snob, he can be, and he's got the education, the shop to be it, and the world needs musical snobs because they know the music. They don't just grab something and play. They know Prince what they're talking about. Who? Prince, Prince yeah, was yeah. A snob, yeah, you know, 
Yeah. I mean, I, I'm going back, look, you know, watching um, uh, and listening to you on YouTube, um, uh, many of unreleased songs that this estate is putting out now and videos that I hadn't seen, you know, the first time around. And one of the things he says quite often is um, um, real music by real mu musicians. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, uh, one of my dear friends uh, in this business that I was honored to have a relationship with was uh, Mr. Brown, James Brown, the Godfather. And he was tough on people, you know, but he, when he loved you, he loved you. And uh, I'm very honored to have had a, a relationship with him. I'm very honored to have a, have had a personal relationship with Whitney Houston and, and talked about uh, the business and, and the grind that she had to go through uh, to make it to where, you know, where she got to. I'm, I'm very honored to have had a personal relationship with Luther Vandross, who used to tell me about, you know, the, the challenges that he went through as a um, young artist coming up in New York and how he, you know, sold jingles to people and, and uh, uh, you know, worked with David Bowie before he ever, you know, was really looked upon as a solo artist. So having been through that, you, you know about the struggle but again, in this day and age, um, it's almost like an instant, you can, you know, you, you don't have to go through all of the work to get there now. You know, when you're only working on a keyboard and you hit one button and you're getting beats, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, and you don't you have, have to go to you school and learn, learn your craft. Yeah, and you it's don't have to collaborate with other musicians. You don't. There's no band or anything. That's another. That's another issue. And that's a very yeah. important one that you can do all of this on your on own. On your own, yeah. And you're not learning from other people. You're not sharing experiences uh, to get you uh, uh, more uh, knowledge about what you're doing. So yes, you're absolutely correct. And, and the and the earlier music, the production value and the music that we came up with. Sometimes I just sit back and I listen to some of that stuff, and you just have to sit there and go, wow. You know. Well, look, I mean, think about it. Think about it. When, when you go get in your car or, or or wherever you go to listen to music and you listening to Earth, Wind & Fire in the early days, oh. that's the 70s. That's like 50 years ago. Yeah. You Marvin Gaye's What's Going On is still the, one of the best albums yes, ever. Yes, it is. Ever. Ever. Yes, it is. Yes. When you ask yourself, why am I um, turning toward the things I came up on and turning away from some of the stuff that you hear today, I think it's quality. I think it speaks to you. It says it, something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You're right. It is quality. It speaks to you. It is music that is, as they say, it's a healing source. Music heals the soul. But this SHIT that's out here now, this pisses you off. So well, it's not well, what I want, what I want to say to you though, and I, I hear what you're saying. I'm just saying that if you go past that, there's there's a lot of good stuff out here. You just have to get past this craziness. Yeah, and and it'll it'll stop you every time. Every time I drive down the street and I see some of these, and I'm gonna say it. Somebody's gonna get pissed off, but I'm gonna say it anyway. You see some of these young thugs driving the, these things and they come to a light and this stuff is blasting and I'm sure you can hear it in Texas and it's saying <laughs> some of the most vile and disgusting things I put my windows up and I can still hear it like it's on my radio that's disgusting there's no excuse for that except Why that's 
Why do you think they do that, though? I think they do it because they think they can and they should. I think it's for them, it's their choice. I think they do it because it makes them makes them something. And I think maybe they do what, it maybe maybe that's exactly what they're looking to do is to be something in their minds, in their space, wow. amongst their people, you know, by being loud and being uh, in your face and, you know, crazy. Maybe that makes them feel like they're somebody. Right. Because I can. Yeah. Because I can, because that's the choice, because that's well, all I got. But it's also look at me, look at me, look at me. Yes. Yes, it is. Look mm -hmm. at me. I've got the loudest uh, uh, speakers. I've got a beat. I've got the loudest bass. I can blast your ears and everything else. And that makes it, that makes them feel good. I guess, or feel and, something. And it's also I a little guess. bit of d disruption and, and screw the man. and it's, um, it's just so disruptive. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and it's, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a big giant F you. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, because of, their, because of their circumstances and their situation. You know, and I totally get that. And again, that's what <laughs> we have to figure out how to resolve in our own community. You know, like a lot of th one of the things we always say on this program is we need to stop waiting on permission. You know, so we need to look mm -hmm. inward and start getting this stuff cleared up. And, yeah. And Kevin, how do we, how can we create a, an industry that serves us? Because music has been ours for decades. So how can we create an industry in the music business that speaks to us and others. How can we? Well, how can we do that? It starts. It starts with education. You know, you, you you hear stories about how artists throughout the decades of, you know, great artists who don't own their masters, who get taken advantage of by record companies or managers or, you know, concert promoters and all those kinds of things, and. Uh, education really is um, our way out of this because when you own your masters and you can control your image and likeness and your, your music, then you're the one in charge. But we've been abused. Now, granted, again, if you're in the desert and you're starving and you need some water, you know, a pinch is going to seem like it's a lot. So we, we've been uh, taken advantage of by record companies and, and executives. But we should we should be smart enough. I mean, you saw, I don't know if you saw in the, in the news, um, 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 Chance the Rapper was able to negotiate the masters for Anita Baker and give them back to her. No, I did uh, not that know just that. just happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, so, so we're seeing stories about people who are um, educating themselves and uh, improving their situation. Uh, you know, as you know, Prince got his master's back after that big slave issue with Warner Brothers. And, um, uh, you know, so you see people like uh, Jay-Z and uh, Nas and whatnot owning their own content and controlling their own destiny like that. So it, it's about education. It's about um, the knowledge of some of these young people. And there are um, ways to um, to tap into um, for some of these young people programs 
um, that uh, are teaching them the right way to go about this and how to how to be a professional in this business. Yeah. So it's not all lost, Ms. Williams. <laughs> yeah, and one of the uh, early ones that got notoriety was um, Benny King with uh, Stand By Me. You know, that song has been used in commercials and it's been, he, he never, he sold his rights early on in that. Never got any royalties on that. There's a lot of people that yeah. you're going to find that are like that, you know, because you're in need mm -hmm. at a time when you're yeah. in need and that's the way you, you know, you can get some quick money. It seems and like, yeah. what you don't realize is that there's value um, in classics now. You, you, you can notice that a few years back, um, television, uh, whether it be in commercials or in um, uh, shows and whatnot, they would use either a, a cover of a song or they would have original music that they could pay for cheaply um, uh, in, in uh, advertising and whatnot. And then what they started finding out, people weren't uh, retaining the information. So when they start using original tunes that people knew and that, you know, uh, it had an impact on them, they would find that they, those commercials would be more successful. So there's great value in your copyrights, especially if you have those that are uh, popular songs and people know. So um, you're hearing songs now, you know, uh, you're hearing Outkast on ads that you never would even think Outkast would be a part of. You know, so there's a lot of music right now that's really being accepted. I mean, I was watching something yesterday and they were playing Ohio Players. Where, how what? often are you going to hear the Ohio Players on a television show? What? Exactly. It was on, uh, what was it on? Oh, Meet, uh, Beat Shazam. So so there there's a huge opportunity. There's knowledge about our music. I think, again, knowing more about it and being exposed to it is going to help us all. You know, uh, excuse my expression, but, you know, white people know about our stuff more than we know about our stuff. Absolutely. And when are we going to stop that? Uh, a little bit of trivia, a little bit of trivia. Um, you know, if, when you go to a, a restaurant and it's your birthday and they sing happy birthday, they don't sing the happy birthday song. They have some other thing they sing. The reason that they well, do well, that is because happy birthday was copyrighted, but it just went into the public domain. looks like 2015. But yeah, they wouldn't do it because happy birthday was copyrighted. Well, what, what is that saying? Uh, uh, Maria, help me out with this one. Uh, everything in black culture... Uh, everything, everything in pop culture starts in black culture. Yeah, you know they may not love us, but they love what we do. They love our dances, they love our singing, and they love our our rapping, and and you know mm -hmm. they love our ball playing and all of that. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. Well, you look you at know? Sam Smith, what we used to call Blue Eyed Soul when we had the Hall and Oates and uh, the Righteous Brothers and things like that. But now you got Sam Smith, uh, Robin Thicke. Uh, Adele, Adele Sh Patrick Sheehan, what is his name? Uh, Ed Sheehan. Ed, Ed Sheehan. Ed Sheeran. Ed, Ed Sheeran. Sheeran. You've got uh, all the all all the K-pop is based on R and B. That those are R and B type rhythms and R and B type chord changes. All that is based on our music, just like rock and roll is based on blues. Right. Sure. But sure. we still no. we're still on the bottom end. We're still on the bottom back end, even though the music that we know came from Black culture, we know that it was ours. What are we doing now? 
we had we had uh, Marshall Thompson on last week, and he's got a residency in Las Vegas, selling his book. A lot of these these uh, older, if you will, older entertainers, they're broke. They're they're missing out. They're not getting the calls. They're not getting booked. Luckily, the new Shy Lights will be in Vegas. He's waiting for the dates for their three-year residency. But Stan, um, Stanley Alston from The Main Ingredient, we all love The Main Ingredient. He was on our show several times. He and I stayed in contact. I think he's gone now. And because he called me and said that he, he was very sick. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know. But a lot of these entertainers, some are still here and they're just, they're literally hanging on by a thread. Cheryl Cooley, who's another member of the ITRN family, she's always chomping at the bit to get jobs, to get jobs. They played at your festival, Taste of Soul, and she was chomping at the bit to get that. And they're doing who's local. Who's Cheryl Cooley? Climax. Climax band. Oh, oh. Climax. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's, that's we've had group. some, yeah, we've had some high profile people during Black Music Month and otherwise we've had people Bryson on. You don't hear anything from Peebo Bryson? Well, Peebo was out a couple of years ago. He had an album that did fairly well for him. So. And he also had a heart attack. Mm-hmm. But but you you don't hear from them anymore. You well, well let's, let's, let's understand a part of that. You know, we started this conversation talking about the Telecommunications Act of 96 and how it changed um, radio because it took smaller players out of the game and let bigger money players control um, the airwaves. And when you control the airwaves, you know, when you look at a, a company like a, um, an iHeart or Cumulus or Cox or Radio One, you know, when they have a genre of music that maybe, you know, they want to specialize in or have stations that, um, that, that play that kind of music, generally what they'd like to do is kind of approach it like a franchise. And what I mean by that is that if it sounds this way in LA, it might sound the same way in Chicago, it might sound the same way in New York. And that's an easier way for them to manage these properties. That's not necessarily what's great for our listeners and our, our, you know, our lovers of this music, because you would like to think that radio, especially urban radio, black radio, is local radio, something that you can hear about your town and that they feature artists from your town so that you can go out and support those artists. So when you say, I don't hear about all of these black acts, especially some of the more mature acts, it's because of this corporate ownership that says the only thing that matters is what sells. So if Peebo Bryson doesn't sell, then why are we playing Peebo Bryson? You see what I'm saying? Because we can't reap the benefits from that. And that's the mentality that these companies have. So what we have to do as a people is to keep our music uh, alive and share it amongst our family and pass it down like we pass down all the traditions in our family. 
you know. So there are things that happen, you know, down home, you know, when you're going back to Arkansas, Mississippi, you know, they got a whole different sound down there. You know, that down home stuff still works. That blues stuff still works. You know, so LA has a sound and we, you know, we got, we can embrace uh, the whispers and solar and all of that was, you know, kind of that LA sound and, and Frankie Beverly and Shaka Khan and all of those things that, you know, uh, um, um, Roy Ayers, I couldn't think of it. You know, he's an LA guy, you know, you know, Texas has their own sound. New Orleans has their own sound. Right. So, right. you know, we, we have to keep that alive amongst ourselves. Otherwise it will go away or it'll be taken by the others because, you know, they're forever taking our stuff and, you know, getting we're letting paid it go. And we're letting it go. Just like I think I was speaking with you. We were talking about Motown and Motown gone for $60 million. Are you kidding me? That's a low amount of money for what they, for Thank what they built. You. The it was $60 million. Yeah, and I went yeah. back to my shop and I said, you guys are crazy. How did you let Motown go? You could have put some of the homies together and you guys could have put that $60 million in that pot. That's ridiculous. $60 yeah. million. Dollars, and we yeah. let it go. And what's more important is also the, the publishing and the value of that. Uh, yes. Yes. And there are no more black record companies. There are no more black labels. Right. Well, there are independent labels, and you know they they have relationships and associations with majors, but on that scale, no. On, on a Motown scale, no. There, there, there's not. So how but again, in the world? But again, we we if you if you if you can find success in what you produce, the content you create, in many ways. Uh, and again, then we go back to this educational process is that you really don't necessarily need a record company to take 85% of your, of your value and pay you 15% after they get all their money first. You can do this without them. The record companies, historically, it's been distribution. That's the one thing that the average person could not do. You couldn't get your record into the warehouse and you know uh, uh, Joe's records or whatever it is, whatever the old record right. stores used to be. It was, right. but now that everything well, is the digital. Last time you went in a record store. I don't know where exactly. Run is. There are no more record shops. Oh, you don't, can't go don't, in and buy forty. There is one again. Part of all of this is also this going back to this education. Uh, I I will say probably if you're over fifty in this country, you may not be uh, aware of how to navigate computers and download songs and and to uh, be a part of that whole streaming world. You know, for us, you know, we might not want to pay um, Spotify. We might not want to pay Pandora. You know, we expect at this point in our lives to be able to find the music we want, either to go buy it. Uh, you can't go to a store because not there's it's no not stores out there. I don't think you can buy records. In, but I in, tell you uh, what, Spotify or Pandora is well worth it because you can listen to anything you want. But we've only got a few minutes left, and I know uh, Theta had something she wanted to uh, comment. Theta, you there? There we go. Yes. Um, I just wanted to reference an article, and it was um, from the high school, Berkeley High is in Berkeley, California. And in that article, they reference how McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, et cetera, 
dedicated one-fifth of their radio TV advertising to African-American audiences. And they drew the parallel between that and basically what you buy, consumerism, et cetera. There's an, a um, video, which is on, I found it on YouTube, that they reference. And it's called The Secret to Selling the Negro in 1954. It's like 15 minutes. It's worth watching. And the government actually paid for it to be made and it was actually made by black marketing johnson and in that article it explains how to sell to the black consumer and one of the statements that was made by whoever this these children are was many african americans mask their trauma and wear it as success i couldn't have said it better so it explains that African-Americans like to buy good quality product, which is why, and they were explaining that with marketing, once uh, the Caucasians were able to see what it is we buy, and they can look at that in comparison to where you live, they know what to do. That's why we have people in the hood who buy product and who buy name brands. So it drew the parallel of, do you prefer a plastic straw? Do you prefer a paper straw? Do you prefer fresh produce or you, do you prefer brand new tennis shoes? And that's where we are. Oh, really? I want to read that article. The Secret of Selling the Negro. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Wow. The video is definitely worth watching because it is believed that that was the beginning of the end because at that point, they no longer were, we weren't shopping in our own neighborhoods because they knew how to attract us. And it had to do with what we expected. Very, very good video. Well, we've been conditioned, you know. Um, Absolutely. We have been conditioned and orientated. And we've right. been indoctrinated right. to look mm -hmm. at that and see. Yeah, we've been indoctrinated in right. such a way. What did they say? If, if Black people got reparations, Cadillac would be the biggest company in the world. Yeah. So, you know, all that money would be gone in six hours. Have, you know, you look at the world and you see um, everybody else getting theirs. So you want to get yours too. It still comes down to um, how you're raised, what, what values mean to you, you know, how you um, uh, look at life, you know, how you consume things. So I understand when somebody, you know, wants something nice because they see the world is, you know, nice for other people. And they see the challenges we, we face. You, you, you used the word trauma a minute ago. We live our lives in trauma. You know, every day we walk out the house, there's trauma. Every time you see the police, there's trauma. You know, so I understand, you know, how you, you're trying to find a way to, you know, ease your pain. Yeah, and we are at the top of the hour. Listen, Kevin, it's been fantastic. It's been an honor and a pleasure to have you on here. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. We have been trying, or I have been trying for quite some time to get you here, and you have been here on Change Matters, and we were talking about solutions. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. We have learned a lot. Please come back. Please join us again. Don't go away, Kevin. Don't go far. You know I will be calling you. <laughs> yes, this is the Intentional Talk Radio Network, and you have been listening to Change Matters. We bring you solutions with Kevin Fleming. 
your host, Kenny Hendricks and Colette Williams will be bringing you more shows tomorrow. We've got Smart Money Moves with Helena J. Connolly, and we've got In The Mix, Conversations with Colette and Paulus. So stay tuned. You know we bring you the news and views that you can use. This is Intentional Talk Radio Network. Intentional. Have a good evening, everyone. Join us again tomorrow. We will talk with you then. Wear your mask. Stay masked up. It ain't over yet. Stay masked up. We will speak with you soon. Take care. Take care of yourself and someone else. Have a good night. Thank you.